Welcome to the Owl Hoot Podcast with me, Caroline Norbury. This is a show for any person interested in the environment and sustainability. I arrived at a point in my own life where I wanted to know more about the state of our planet and how I can play my part, albeit small, in mitigating climate change, reducing pollution and supporting biodiversity. I decided that chatting to others who are already doing something might be a good place to start. So each episode will feature a different guest telling their stories in and around an environmental activity that will perhaps provide you with ideas that you can incorporate into your own life. Enjoy listening and let me know if you have a topic you'd like to hear more about on the podcast and I'll do my best to address it. In this episode, I'm excited to be joined by Greg Hewitt, Community Lead for Plastic Free Chesterfield, one of over 700 communities in the Plastic Free Network, aiming to eliminate single-use plastics. Collective action is at the heart of the Chesterfield organisation, with over 50 community groups and 50 businesses signing up to pledge their support for the campaign and to reduce their own adoption of single-use plastics. Greg has extensive experience in championing many different community projects, particularly those with an environmental focus. Alongside his current community role, he works as a fundraising and communications assistant at Derby Museums. I'm keen to find out more about Greg and the Plastic Free Network. So without further ado, I welcome Greg to the podcast. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. You are more than welcome. So I'm going to start off, as I always do, and find out a bit about how you came to be where you are now. So I know that you had a, a degree in digital media. Um, how did you decide on that particular area to look at? And where did it then go to in terms of all these lovely community groups that you've been involved with? Yeah, I think, um, well, I, I, studied, uh, I studied environmental science at college. And uh, I was sort of, I had a kind of a general interest in the environment because I, I like, I liked going for walks and appreciating nature around when I was, when I was growing up. So I thought about studying environmental science. And so I studied that at college and, and then, but like my, my, my main focus was always in IT. So I was always wanting to study IT um, and kind of do, do digital stuff. Yeah. So what, what, but what happened was that um, after university, I was looking for work experience to kind of gain some volunteer volunteering experience so that I could kind of boost my CV. And one one thing I found was I found um, uh, an organization in, in Winchester in Hampshire called Winchester Action on Climate Change. And I thought, oh, that's, and that's interesting because they were looking for a web, web assistant. So I thought, well, that's really interesting because I've studied IT and I've got web experience, but I've also studied environmental science. So I've kind of got that kind of experience as well. And so I volunteered for that organization and they, it was really interesting because they kind of opened the doors so, so much to me for so many different things. So they introduced me, for example, to Transition Towns, which is, is all about community action on the environment, really, basically not waiting for government to do anything. It's basically just kind of getting together in your local community and doing something good, practical projects in your community that help improve the environment and it's it was great that um I just I just got so excited about the idea of it and it I think um I was like wow this is just this is just such an amazing thing to do to be able to bring people together in your community and do good good things and then um it, it actually inspired me that much I actually 
I actually then started my own transition group in the town that I grew up in. And that um, that was quite really, that was really interesting, just sort of being able to sort of run a group like that. I'd never run a group before, done anything like that before. So it was, yeah, kind of very, very interesting. But I think what was interesting from that was that as soon as, as soon as you kind of get involved in, and it's kind of like people always ask, what was that moment when, when you kind of really started to like change or like what was it that opened your eyes in in like you know to environmental activism or environmental projects and for me it was it was being introduced to transition towns from uh, this Winchester action on climate change and they and it was from there I just kind of just it just spiraled really because I got involved in a, a, a local transition group I set my own one up and then moved to Southampton a couple of like a year later and I got involved in Transition Southampton and got involved in organising projects and stuff there. And then I moved up to Rutland and Oakham in Rutland. And I got involved in Transition Rutland there. Yeah, but also at the same time, like what was interesting, I also got, in, in, I also got introduced into Friends of the Earth as well. So, um, so when I was in Southampton, I, I, I was asked to sort of help lead I was I was asked because I because people knew of my work with the with the transition town. Someone said, "Oh, why don't you have a go at leading on the Friends of the Earth group?" So I just I just kind of had a go at kind of just organising a couple of activities for the local Friends of the Earth group, and I then found myself dressing up as a bee and organising bee walks around Southampton and and doing all sorts of that. I think I ended up even one summer. I ended up organising a bee a bee festival or something like that, where we had stalls and sort of crafts and face painting, and we showed the bee movie, and it was just like yeah, I was just it was all crazy stuff really, and then that that even pushed forwards through to um, when I when I moved out of Oakham, I moved into Nost- moved to Nottingham, and I joined Nottingham Friends of the Earth, and then. Yeah, and then I kind of got involved in more bee stuff because there was more bee things going on. So I organised a bee banquet, and um, where we made up, we worked in partnership with local community allotments and community gardens to be able to get some produce made pollinated by bees and cook, and got some local cooks to cook it up. And we we, we did a little bee banquet, and we got uh, we got the local council on board, and we got the local beekeepers to come and give a talk about what they were doing. And so yeah, that was really fascinating. And but yeah. Obviously, at the same time, I was kind of still involved in sort of transition projects. So I was always kind of doing that moment of like working between Friends of the Earth groups and transition. And I thought that was kind of really good because I, I, I always believed in the idea of like, well, community action is really important and being able to just get, get on with the community projects. And, um, you know, I was involved in Transition Sherwood and Nottingham and all you know and just heavily involved in organizing projects there but at the same time I thought oh well I, I really understand the need for lobbying and kind of you know trying to you know trying to really push push for sort of political action as well and so that's kind of why I always kind of thought well Friends of the Earth and Transition go really well hand in hand together so and then uh yeah so like it's just it just spiraled really from there and I just you know when I moved to Chesterfield as well I kind of wanted to kind of get involved in something as well so because yeah, I think I think when I um, when I was in Nottingham, I was heavily involved in the anti-fracking campaign because I really wanted to do something about this this issue because I, I found out all about fracking and so I wanted to start campaigning on these issues. 
And so I kind of just heavily just got myself involved in that. And then five years later, I thought, how are we, how am I still doing this five years on that? Like, we're still campaigning and how am I still doing all this kind of thing? And it's, yeah. And then you just think, and then, and then you just sort of think, and then when Facebook sends you remind sort of your memories, you, you kind of think, oh, well, like you sent you sending me pictures of the time I dressed up as a bee and when I was in Southampton and, and that time, you know, when I was lobbying and organising a, a fucking public meeting and all this kind of stuff. So it's, yeah, so I've got, got quite, a, quite a bit of experience now. You certainly have. Two things that, that have got, you've got to have, I, I imagine, to have done all those different things is, is one, you've got to be a team player, but also it sounds like you've done a fair bit of leadership on projects. Has that always been something that you've been good at or is it just by virtue of the fact that you became interested in something that you discovered, oh, well, actually, this is this is who I am? Yeah, I think so. I think it was just kind of like, yeah, I, I think it all, I don't know, it probably all started from that time where I thought, oh, I'm just going to try and start my own transition group. And I just, I was like, I believed in it so passionately. I just thought, well, I'll just, I'm just going to take it on, you know, but like, I think I was always keen to ensure that it's not just me doing it. And I think like, it, like you said about team player and things, since like when I started my own transition group in my own town where I grew up, I was always keen to set it up with someone. So like I got partnered up with someone in my local area and I, and I'd, I, you know, cause I kind of started making contacts and started working together and building up a steering, almost like a steering group of people to kind of work with. So it, it was never just me leading the group by itself. It was, and I, I was, believed in that because I, th- I thought I'd, I, ca- I can never do anything really by myself but it's all about if we can work together collectively as a team and we can kind of we can really plan this and so you know when when we were organizing when we were organizing around the transition project at the beginning it was we had like meetings steering group meetings planning projects and the uh, you know, and what we would do and and that just kind of went forwards you know like just moving forwards when I started running projects, like especially when I went into like moved into Nottingham and I started a community social eating cafe where it was it was never just it was never just gonna be me that was gonna organize this. Like I like when I when I thought when I set about opening up a community social eating cafe, I thought, well, I'm never I'm not a I'm not a I'm not that good of a cook. I'm I'm alright, I can cook a bit, I know how to cook, but I'm not that good of a cook. Um I'm <laughs> like and I just yeah and I thought well okay so if I'm not if I'm not so good about what what to do on this I'm just gonna build bring people in who do know so like I put a call out through transition yeah I think I, I put a call out through the transition Sherwood group for example in Nottingham for people to come and help um, and sure sure enough people did and people kind of volunteered themselves and we we met in the pub and and it was it was all about kind of sharing ideas and people kind of had all these ideas of how we could work and and again you know that was it again holding sort of sort of group volunteer group meetings where it was never it was never just me saying oh we need to do this we need to do that it was all about how can we collectively do something and it was I never I never wanted to sort of say oh we should be doing this or setting setting the decisions I, I always thought well I'll just ask people like I'll just be and I, I think I just ended up learning facilitation skills from there really like learning about just sort of being able to yeah <laughs> just like yeah sort of ask other people for their ideas and kind of come up with things like, like that really because I think for me it tends to be that I tend to sort of get a lot of energy from 
um, other people. So like I might not think of an idea myself, but if someone comes up with an idea, I might I might sort of start bouncing off that and I, I start kind of thinking about all these kind of different ideas. But the other thing that I like I really like as well is that like and this is something that I've always had is like since I've started community projects is learning about what what works elsewhere. So like, you know, when I was in Nottingham, like wanting to start up a social eating cafe, I didn't just start doing it. I started making contact. So like I made, I made, uh, you know, started networking and started meeting people. So I met with Marsh Smith, who set up the secret kitchen in Nottingham, doing a social eating cafe because she was the one who inspired me. So I was, I kind of went to her saying, what do we do about this? How do we organize this? And, you know, and, and how do you do, how do you run your meals and, you know, so and I think that's kind of been a really big issue from like, yeah, it's been a real big thread for me, like what in all my projects that I will always learn off other people. Like I know when, in the initial days and when I when I was in transition to Hampton, I would always look like I would always receive the, tran- the main national transition network newsletter. And like I would always look at the, pro- the projects other groups were up to in around around the country. And I and I just like opened this email like from the yeah from them and I was like oh they're doing this group's doing this I was like oh that group's doing that it's like maybe we can do that as well so like yeah I might have kind of got a bit carried away with some of like my energy and I know that was that was quite a bit of a challenge for me like with um when I moved to Oakham in Rutland because I, I moved to the smallest county in the country and like I, I'd come with all this energy and passion and enthusiasm and energy and wanting to do something and make a difference in the community and and then like I got introduced to the local Friends of the Earth group who were there which was a um, which was about four or five sort of older ladies and and I kind of went in with all these ideas and things to them and they were like oh, hang on like you know we're, uh, we, we we can't we don't know what to do <laughs> and I think uh, you know they ended up sort of telling the the National Friends of the Earth organization that I was a bit too much for them. <laughs> yeah, so that too um, they much were enthusiasm. Like, oh, yeah, they were like, oh, you know, I, I got a call from National Friends of the Earth, and they were like, oh, the local Friends of the Earth group has said that you you were a bit too much energy for the for the local group. So wow. I was like, oh, they, like oh, I was just like, so deflated because I was like, I've just come, I've just moved to this new area, and I want to get involved, and I want to make a difference in my community, and. And these these people these people are sort of stopping me from doing something because they don't want to work with me because I've got too much energy. So yeah, it's not so usually think, a bad thing, is it? <laughs> yeah, and I, and I was so, so frustrated, and so like I, I think I was quite glad to move to end up moving to Nottingham after that because I needed it. Where you know I needed to, I needed to be in that city environment where there were there was already an existing friends of the earth group, there was already an existing transition group where I was moving to and. And so like, I could just kind of just get stuck in really there. And uh, yeah, but I, I love I love it. I love the inspiration that I get from other projects. And uh, yeah, it's, it's always I never I never re, I never I always I always look at reinventing the wheel, because if, if something works elsewhere, then why why not just do it again? And, you know, that's, absolutely. That's it sounds eminently sensible to look elsewhere and say, oh, what has worked? Okay, let's try that. That that's that does sound like a good strategy, and it's clearly it's clearly been uh, successful for you as you've gone through a number of different types of groups. Uh, how did you go from sort of transition and the, the sort of the cooking ideas to plastics? 
I've always been interested in sort of weight, tackling weight, you know, right back from the transition days. You know, I remember like it was, I think it might have even been one of the first meetings that I got that, that I went to in, in the transition town right from the very beginning where we watched a film about waste and we watched a film about the great garbage patch of of plastic in, in the ocean and these huge swarms of plastic just littering our ocean and I just thought this is just crazy and I just you know I wanted to do something about it but I didn't know what <laughs> and then it just you know like it just it just things just evolved over time really so you know so like the issue of waste it was always kind of something I wanted to do so like when I moved when I moved to Nottingham I ended up starting up a repair cafe so where um we worked with the local uh, hack space they were called and um, I kind of got them involved in sort of fixing up products so that you know it was all about kind of trying to repair products that were broken mm-hmm. and empowering people to fix products and things so there was that that was that issue but then also as well in Nottingham um, at the same time I ended up also starting up a new thing which was about a new event rather than a project it was an, an annual event uh, and that was called the Remarkable Recycling Gala and that was all about kind of tackling waste. And it was all about, you know, it was just, it was just all back from this, you know, all these kind of facts that I'd learned all about plastic right from those years ago. And I wanted to do something sort of fun and different. So I, I organised this recycling gala once a year. I worked with the local, it was at a Sherwood Arts Week, uh, an already existing organisation. And I thought, well, they're the perfect organisation because we can, because they were, they were already organising craft art and craft fairs. So I thought, well, because I went, I went to the one the first year that they did, and they they had some recycled art, and I loved, I loved that, and I sort of thought, well, I just want to organise a a festival that celebrates sort of artists and crafters who are recycling and turning, you know, waste products into into something new and something different. And uh, you know, there was there was a lot of artists that, that I got really got inspired by by like Sarah Turner, who's a really amazing, fantastic artist in Nottingham, who she kind of upcycles plastic bottles into lights and and all these incredible kind of things really it's just absolutely fascinating and then yeah so like and then I think like moving forwards after that um and you know and there's remarkably recycling gala was, was run for many many years and it was really successful and it is still going now I think even once I've moved on which is always good to hear yeah but um then when I moved to Chesterfield I was I was kind of thinking like what what can I do because what what can I really I wanted to do something I knew that it was an, an, an already existing transition group in Chesterfield but I wanted to do something and I I just thought well yeah what can I do so I just started looking up like looking up different projects and then I came across plastic free communities which is a you know, like I just, I just was, yeah, I was just kind of doing some search. I think, I think what it was, was I was thinking about probably on my mind at the time was, well, I'd just been done. I've just finished five, five years of anti-fucking campaigning and I, and, you know, like, and, and some of the issues that came up again in, in the anti-fucking campaigning was about plastics because we started, you know, especially to what the later years of the anti-fucking campaign, we started learning about, this new fucking company called Ineos, and they were um, they were going to be fucking Sherwood Forest in Nottinghamshire for to produce shale gas, which was then going to be it was it was going to be used to make plastics. So this gas was going to be used as a feedstock for them to make more plastics. And I just thought this is absolutely bonkers. So like it was really interesting to see like 
you know, this interest, because I, I know when I first started campaigning about, about fracking, I didn't realise anything about plastics, but, the, you know, the more the years went on, like, I learned about that they, they were using this, they wanted to do the fracking to, you know, well, it wasn't, a lot of the companies, like the original like, fracking companies, like iGas, weren't looking at that, but it was only when Ineos came in, they specifically said that they wanted to use that gas for plastics, and so... You know, I just the more I learn about Ineos, the, the sort of the more I wanted to, to do something about plastics because I thought that's that's something a real a real issue, and we, we can't be producing more plastic because there's already a huge issue. So I I, I knew that when I moved to Chesterfield, like the the, sort of the, the anti fracking campaigning was sort of coming to an end because there was a ban in on fracking in Lancashire, and so I thought, well, okay, so what could I do next? So that's when I, I came across the plastic free communities idea because I just was looking for different projects and I came across plastic free communities and I thought oh, that's what sounds really interesting and and the plastic free communities what was interesting about it was like I'd already kind of done sort of, sort of campaigning experience and project work and um, what I liked about the, the plastic free communities was that it was five objectives so they kind of you know so it was it was really like going back to a, a campaign so it was about you've got five objectives to meet and and I just thought, okay, right, that's great because it's like you know, rather than me trying to think of ideas, like you know, they sure. already gave they already gave you the ideas, they already gave you the objectives that you had to meet, and they gave you the you know all the resources that you needed. They gave you a business toolkit, they gave you kind of resources and guides and links and everything that you could kind of facts and everything that you could use. So I was like, well, this is great because everything is just all all there that I can just run start running with. And so I just kind of just start picking it up really and just um, that was it. And that's kind of what ends up starting Plastic Free Chesterfield in June 2019. And in quite a short period of time, you've got quite a lot of local groups and businesses on board. How easy has that been to do? Um, well, it, it was really difficult at first. I know like the first couple of months, it was a real struggle because we just did, we just didn't have people. And I think um, what was challenging, like I know that the initial challenge that I found was that like I went, for example, like the, like the first few months, I started going out into like the town centre of Chesterfield and just like um, I made these little flyers that said about will you, will you sign up to reduce single-use plastic? And what I found was that town was just so busy. It was just so there were so many people out and about on a Saturday because the only time I mean I was, I was working full time, so there was no way that I could go out and about. So I started going out to these businesses, kind of giving them the supplier about plastic, and they just ignored me because they were they were so busy trying to you know they didn't have any time to talk to me because they were so busy trying to serve the customers. So like I kind of I tried to kind of give them a flyer and things, and a lot of the time I just never heard back from the businesses. You know, a lot of the businesses then didn't end up contacting me. So what I ended up doing was I thought, well, okay, I'm going to have to recruit some volunteers. So I just kind of started putting a call out via, you know, existing networks like Transition Chesterfield, looking for volunteers as well as Facebook groups and stuff as well, looking for volunteers who were like retired people who could go go to these businesses during the week when it was quieter. And uh-huh. they they actually had they you know that was a, that was a good idea I think because. Yeah, there weren't as many customers out on a on a like a, there was on a Saturday, and so they kind of started talking to businesses for me, and they started signing up a couple of businesses, which was really great. So that was that it started picking up from there, sort of a couple of a couple of little things. You know, we when at first we really started. I think what was what was so good was that we just started tapping into the businesses that were already existing. So like we already had Steph Sustainable Stuff, who was already in existence she was already running a zero waste shop in Chesterfield 
Perfect. So like, you know, she was the most obvious one to sign up as the first plastic free champion. And then a couple of months later, there was a new business, that op- a new shop that opened called Waste Not Want Not in town. And so in another zero waste shop. So I thought, well, it's like, you know, you kind of start reaching those and then, you know, you start kind of reaching the kind of the easy, the easy ones really. Like, you know, I came across, like, I think I was on Facebook and saw, and, and I'd like saw some kind of advertisement for, plastic free soaps or something and they were they were advertising as sort of plastic free vegan soaps and I was like well I've got a I got an email then and it's like well they you know it's kind of getting these easy wins because these a lot of these businesses were already doing something and then you know like I just it just started building from there really because the more other businesses heard about it the more the other the more they want to sign up so like I just started kind of going to local markets and speaking to some businesses and I started going to like Christmas market and talking to businesses there I joined like Facebook um, shop groups and business advertising groups where like I I would just if I saw some of their products and I thought yeah I'll I'll message them to see if they want to sign up and we just got we got we got a couple of that way as well but it just yeah it just ends up spiraling from there really and it's I don't know how that's happened but then yeah um, it just it just sort of just happens it's just like just yeah <laughs> organically yeah yeah I just think it just yeah that's the thing more 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 and more businesses to start kind of hearing about and wanting to kind of get involved did you have that belief at the beginning that you because obviously it sounded like it was quite tricky at the beginning you had a bit of a setback was there ever a point where you thought oh my man this just might not happen or did you think no I'm gonna keep going it's gonna work <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I think I was just, I was just so determined just to kind of keep going and just, just, yeah, just, just keep at it, I think. Yeah, it's, it's really, it was a really challenging, I think like my, my main frustration was that, was working full time and not being able to go into businesses because I did, you know, like I'd done a lot of community engagement in my previous jobs and everything. And, and I'd, I do like going out and speaking to people and talking to people and, I think that was kind of my frustration that I can't go out and speak to these people. I've got to kind of like message them on Facebook or um, something like that. And I think that was kind of frustrating, but yeah, I think, yeah, it just, it just happened really. And then it just, I just wanted to keep going. And I think um, I, I I just wanted to kind of keep celebrating it. So like, I know when we got to like 25 businesses, we, we put out a press release and that was really good because it just it was just a nice opportunity to kind of showcase what we were doing. And we started getting like the Derbyshire Times kind of starting to write articles about our group. And, you know, then it just it started just building the profile of the group, really. So that's kind of what we did. Yeah. And I think like a lot of people will say as well, like how, how have you still managed to sort of sign up many like businesses during COVID as well? Because beginning of last year, we had we, we kind of had an, an idea like well we started beginning of 2020 with 25 businesses and we thought okay if we can finish if we can finish the year with with 50 businesses that would be be great and like yeah and people will always sort of say well how did how was it that even during covid you did actually and you know because we did we got to december and we'd signed up 50 businesses and i was like and someone people will say well how did you do that and and i think it was all about Again, it was the same kind of techniques. It wasn't about going out because we couldn't go out and about. It was all about just kind of using the same techniques as to what worked before. Just, you know, looking at, you know, a lot of, lot of businesses were starting to advertise on Facebook and offer home deliveries. And, um, you know, so there was a lot of businesses that would, yeah, sort of advertise that way. So it was just about kind of tagging along on that really and messaging them on Facebook and sending, you know, sending them details. And, and that just, it just ends up sort of the more and more businesses start signing up. 
it was just it was just about persistence like I know that sometimes like I'd originally messaged like or emailed a business and it like they they never kind of got back to me but it was just about continuously trying to go at it and just sort of seeing you know not not kind of like really annoying them but kind of like every four or five like three to four months or something and we'll just sort of kind of check in with them to sort yeah. of say oh how, how are you getting on have you thought about this anymore or that kind of thing and it, I think that ends up working especially with the cheese factor in town where like I know I originally messaged them and they just didn't they didn't seem that interested and then like I think they started to realize that we were kind of starting to get a bit of a you know more more businesses involved and so they were kind of thinking oh, okay we we want to be part of that and so they ended up starting to provide refills in your tea tea, tea and coffee refills um without the single-use plastic cups and then they started and then like I got a message like and it wasn't and so that was great and I thought well that's that's one swap or you've made one or two swaps but it's it's not the it's not the three swaps that you need you know because this is the thing it's like it was a straight thing like I met some businesses that were like well we, we've doing this and it's like well you've only done one or two swaps it's not enough for the three swaps that you need you need at least three swaps to register them as a plastic free champion business and so that was the same for like the cheese factor where like they they kind of were doing a, a little bit but then it just kind of a bit over time they were kind of I think that's the thing once the seed was sown about that they were like it was always in the back of their mind that they did they wanted to become a plastic free champion and I think they, they worked really hard actually because I think it was like towards the end of November or something I got an email from the cheese factor saying we've been re- working really really hard with our suppliers and we're really delighted to let you know that we are now run, we're now selling plastic free cheese boards or something uh, you know for Christmas uh, for Christmas and it was like that was great and that was the third swap that I needed and so like you know finally sort of like in November I could kind of finally award them with the status and that, that was just really great. So it sounds like you're just nudging people along uh, until they get to the it's like a tipping point and they're over that they're over that the last hurdle then. Have you also noticed in terms of the wider community perhaps the consumer are they being are they more aware of what's going on is there are they kind of going oh well we don't have to use single-use plastics here. We'd like not to be able to use it there. Is there any, is there any demand from the consumer, as well? Um, I don't know. It's it's just, it's just been really difficult, really, because I think, yeah. I mean, I think we. I can only really go on like what we've done in terms of like where we we obviously got a Facebook group and yeah, you know, there's there's I think there's over five hundred people on the Facebook group now and, and yeah, they're not all going to be from Chesterfield, but. There's a lot of people that I know that are from Chesterfield, and it's it has like the Facebook group membership has been building over the last year, and you know more more people are still finding out about the group now. Sure. But um, yeah, it's, it's and especially you know it was just it, I think because because it just took a bit of time to kind of get sorted. Like it was only sort of beginning of last year, 2020, that like we really started to kind of get into it properly and started to kind of really start to kind of get out there and start to do things um, and start getting ourselves sorted properly as a group and everything like that. But obviously, like when COVID hit, like it was just just impossible to know what the what the public public support was. And yeah, and it's it's really difficult to to know that really other than kind of like when you lock down or whatever, like it's all you've got, all you've got it's like Facebook sort of members, kind of people on Facebook requesting to join your group or um, people signing up to your mailing list. And that, you know, you've, you've only got those kind of stats and sorts of numbers. And then you can also kind of 
look at as well, like numbers of people who are coming to our, you know, so like in Feb, because like I said, last year we started to kind of start getting really properly organised. So in February 2020, we organised our first talk, public talk, and that was from Steph's Sustainable Stuff. And that was the first, you know, a physical talk in the pub. Wow. And, and it's like, and I think, you know, we, we um, you know, we got, a, we, got we were sold, at, you know, we, we could only fit 30 people in the room. And um, so, yeah, we were kind of, we were kind of at capacity with that. Um, but then, uh, you know, there was appetite for more kind of events. And so when we went into lockdown last year, like we, we thought, well, let's just take our events online. And so like we set up, you know, we'd set up all these, we'd find, started finding speakers who could speak at our events online and, and you know kind of give these online sort of webinars and things and and then like what I would then then do is sort of like when I would use those stats again it's like people would register via Eventbrite for the uh, for the talks and then I could kind of I kind of asked I asked them there like yeah I said are you from Chester you know are you from Chesterfield so I kind of had a picture of local people from that Mm. and then yeah and then obviously like at, at the end of at the end of 2020 like we we just we put out we I made like a google form survey to sort of like find out what they kind of what people thought and I think we got we got we got quite a few I think we got about 40 responses from that and a lot of the people sort of were sort of kind of giving us feedback on saying how good our events had been that year and that kind of thing really but you know like some and and there has there has like there has been the odd facebook post like facebook post on the facebook group where there's been loads of comments but you know we've not been able to have like a like a big you know like it just i'm just you know to think back to like the anti-fracking meetings where we would have public meetings and we we would be able to kind of talk really about you know in a, in a large hall with like 100 people or whatever and and kind of talk about this issue and, and really start to hear from a lot of people and that kind of thing we just we just not because of covid and getting ourselves organized last year we've just not been able to kind of really gain the experience like you know what what people really think sure um and there's a lot there's obviously a lot more we want to do you know i think you know as as covid um eases and lockdown eases and stuff like you know i'd love to kind of do more like for example like a market store talking to the talking to the public more yeah you know like we've, we've tried a couple of stalls before like we did like the we did a stall at the Captain Lock Festival I think it was like September 2019 and it's like you know people 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 don't people don't go to a festival to like speak to like a kind of environmental group or that they go to a festival to kind of do something fun with the kids like a fun kids activity or have some food or something like that and so like it was really difficult at that time because we just didn't have people kind of coming up to us and talking to us about about this we did have a couple of people but you know I don't know but I'm just hopeful that I think, yeah, we 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 can, you know, we've got a lot of people attending our webinars at the minute. We've we've got a lot of people on our Facebook group, a lot of people on our, our mailing list. And, you know, we've got some ideas for how to kind of start to engage people going forward on that, really. We, we know that there's still a lot of people in Chesterfield who don't have any, you know, still don't know the issues, really. And, and so we've, we don't have that engagement, but we'd love to be able to start reaching out more and talking to people. Well, I think your enthusiasm is infectious and you've obviously got drive and persistence. You sound like you've got all the qualities to to, to keep this momentum going. Uh, whatever the situation is with COVID, it's going to get better. I can see it already. I can predict it. And and you're right. It's, it's discovering what engages people, isn't it? But you already have discovered many ways in which to, to, to gather people's engagement. And certainly... 
the webinars are a great thing when people cannot get out. Yeah, I think I think like there's there's still a lot of learning to be had. Like, um, like for example, like on social media, for example, like I'm not I'm not a so I'm I've not done a I've not done a marketing course before. I've not done so you know so I'm not I'm not a, I've not done any any course on social media or um how to maximize people on social media i mean and social media i I almost sort of feel is is a job in itself and it it Mm. almost feels like you need you need you almost need a paid person to do to do social media really because when you when you're volunteer when you're volunteers doing social media it's really 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 difficult because it social media is just never-ending it's just like you know you always you always got to do it every day and it's like, you know, how are you going to continuously find volunteers to be able to do that? Mm. But then it's also really difficult as well, because it's like, well, you've got to think about, OK, what 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 social media do I need posts do I need to put out about to ha- how to really engage people? And that's 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 really that's a real challenge. And I don't I, I mean, we, we kind of get the odd. Like I said, like last year, we got a couple of posts where there was a lot of engagement on. But it was it's it's finding like. You know, it's finding the social media content, but it's not. It's not just about what post you want to put out that will engage a lot of people. It's like, like I said, social media is never ending, so it's like, you know, how much engagement can you really have? Plus, we're all volunteers, so we all, you know, we've all got jobs and we've all got to do this in our own time. So it's mm-hmm. like, like that's why I said it. Social media is a full time job. You really need to like, really have a separate person whose whose job it is just to be thinking about okay what content can we have on social media what content will be really engaging with the public and and that kind of thing and it is it's a real challenge I think it's a a serious challenge I think you're absolutely right it is because it's not just one outlet is it (laughs) social media I mean where do you start where do you finish and also as well like Facebook's changing changing its algorithms and stuff all the time Mm. So like I know, like for example, today, like I saw a post from um, something called Pebble Mag, and oh, yeah. they're like a um, they're kind of an ethical sort of um, magazine, and um, they and they've announced today that, that they're move they they're going to be moving away from Facebook. They oh. said right today we were made we made the decision that we are moving away from Facebook because the Facebook Facebook changed the algorithm so much that people are just not seeing their posts oh, wow. they're not in, not not able to engage and it's it's difficult isn't it because you think well like you, you sometimes you can put a lot of time and energy into, into yeah. creating a facebook post or whatever or whatever and then and facebook then just shoves it back in your face by saying oh we're changing the algorithms and we're not we're not able to you know a lot of people are not able to see your post you know we've got over 500 people on our facebook group but when you look at the stats on the numbers of people who have seen the posts, it's, it's something like 30, 40 people. So well, we've got over 500 people on that group. Why, why aren't more people seeing the posts? Mm. And, and that is a real challenge. And, and I can completely understand with Pebble Mag why they want to remove, you know, move away from Facebook. And, it, and it, this is a serious issue. How do we move forwards to engage people properly where we haven't got that barrier like like Facebook has with all these algorithms trying to put people off and, and not being able to see your posts. Yeah that's very curious what, definitely one to watch. Greg I'm just aware that we are going to run out of time so I'm going to ask you my final two questions one of which is if you were going to recommend somebody to do something regarding plastics what would what would it be? I think um, to stick with it like we, we we always sort of say like just choose one room in your house to kind of do something about it like and I think like the bathroom is like one of the 
that like is is a really good place to start because you can kind of think okay let's look at the, the amount of plastic that we use in the bathroom it might be shampoo conditioner it might be hand soap you know so that like it might be kind of toilet cleaner or bleach or something like that you know so it's kind of like you know you you kind of have a, if you just take one room and you think okay so and and don't and don't say okay i'm just gonna just make all my swaps at once it's just just make one little swap and just think okay i might try um a, a shampoo bath for example and if and i know some people have said to me before like oh shampoo shampoo bars don't work with me or i don't kind of get along with that whatever then there's always the other option of having a refill so rather than continuously buying plastic bottles for your shampoo then you know get in touch with your local zero waste shop and gonna get it get it you know we get your bottle refilled so i think i think that's kind of one of the easiest things and then like i think the only other the only other thing i'd say is that just buy a like buy a reusable water bottle or buy a reusable coffee cup and just and then just kind of make it your habit to take that out and about with you because it, the amount of um yeah the amount of difference it can make just by re remembering to take your water bottle out with you, um, it's a it's a huge. It can make a huge huge difference. I think that's a really good advice and a great take home that people, pretty much everyone, can engage in in in, in that. And yeah, really useful advice. Uh, then finally, Greg, uh, imagine yourself or imagine us in twenty fifty. What's the what's the world going to look like in twenty fifty? You hope. <laughs> Only yeah. a little question. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's it's quite difficult to be positive about 2050 because I think uh, you know when when governments set these targets of of, car, of net zero by 2050, we always know that's going to be way too late to tackle the climate and ecological emergency that we're facing. But I think I'd like to hope that um, you know like there's new there's there's more there's I think this is it. I think like this could be like the turning point as we come start to come out of COVID and, you know, we start to see these kind of messages about build back better, build back greener. And, you know, people have been going out more, um, more outside and appreciating nature during more, you know, more during lockdown. And, and I think, you know, like, I'd love to see 2050 as a, as a place where people are connecting more, people are able to walk and cycle more, people are able to like easily go and, feel that you know they can they can get fresh uh, tap water easily from anywhere around the town they don't you know they can they can get they can get a bus or they yeah they can cycle um but i think 2050 for me probably would be more about like yeah just we we kind of yeah we just we kind of had it i think we've had it with the plastic i think we've we've had it with the plastic water bottles um and refill is is the is you know is the norm now, and I think that is that's that's it. You know there is no more single use because everyone has joined the refill revolution. People are refilling all their products. Nobody is buying products wrapped in plastic in the supermarket anymore, like the pasta and the rice and the lentils, and you know that because the supermarkets are now offering refill where you can bring your container and you can fill up. You can fill up with your rice and beans and pulses and lentils and everything rather than continuously buying in plastic packaging um and yeah we you, there were refills everywhere you can you can get refills with every different every single product that you buy so i i would personally love to see that where we would, we would see like water fountains and people accessible tap water and and people sharing people sharing more as well because we all we just have way too much stuff so i'd love to yeah. see more like 
enabling connectivity where like maybe on your street or something you 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 know you, people are starting to know their neighbors more and they and rather than continuously buying things for example like buying a ladder or buying you know buying a, a drill or something and people are starting to share more and people are starting to connect more and people are starting to think well we've got enough drills in this world we don't need that we can just we can just share one and if we just we set up a system in our street where we share things that we need a you know we need a we need a we need a spade or we need a we need a hammer or something you know we don't need to go and buy that it's all about sharing and connecting more so that we don't just think about consumerism as a oh well everyone's got to own something it's all about we've got to we can we can share and we can help and connect more with people I think that's a vision worth aspiring to. Thank you very much. It's been great chatting to you, Greg. Um, and thanks for all your wisdom and hearing your stories about all the communities that you've helped along the way. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's really brilliant. Thank you so much. You're more than welcome. Cheers. How fabulous was Greg? His enthusiasm was infectious and it was inspiring to hear about the many and varied projects he's been involved with. He certainly gave us a plethora of ideas on local group activities and many of the organisations he mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you're thinking about reviewing your plastic use, then I thought Greg's recommendation to start on one room was great advice. I'd love to hear your ideas too on reducing plastic, so do get in touch through the website at www.theowlhoot.com. I'd like to thank Andy Shaw for audio editing, Jeremy Jones for providing the music, and you for listening. Next up on the podcast is Peter van der Gaag, Executive Director of Ecosystems Restoration Camps, an organisation that brings local people and global campers together to repair broken ecosystems and restore biodiversity. Definitely something to look forward to. If you want to hear more stories of people doing great things that positively impact our environment, then please do subscribe, rate and review through your podcast app. And why not share this episode with someone you think might enjoy it? Until next time, bye for now.